this this writer group that I belong to on Facebook, uh, they have they're like twenty two thousand members strong, and you know I kept putting it in the, in the group because one of the questions that they're always asking is, "Hey, I, I want to get representation. How do I do this? And how do I pitch? And how do I get to the right people?" So I said, "Well, guess what, guys? Thursday, I'm going to have on Leah Saint Marie and Angel." Uh, Murphy to to, to kind of answer those questions and to give you an opportunity to maybe pitch your script in a way you had never thought of. So, but ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with I'm your humble host Floyd Marshall Jr. And today I am joined by Leah Saint Marie and Angel Murphy, and they are the founders of the Pitch, a very interesting podcast where screenwriters actually get to pitch their screenplay and they have another segment which i absolutely love um where the screenwriters have the first three pages of their screenplay read by industry actors something that i have actually never heard of before so i was very intrigued when this phenomenal duo reached out to me and said hey we'd love to come on your podcast and that's always a good thing because I'm sitting like, who's listening? But you know, <laughs> <laughs> then then I get an email like that. So I'm like, oh wow, that, that's that's really cool. So um, guys, welcome to a conversation with it's it's so phenomenal to have you guys here, and I cannot wait to to jump in this conversation with the both of you. So how have you guys been doing so far in 2024? Awesome, actually, yeah. kind of awesome. Um, I was telling you before the podcast started. I got invited to attend the Glass the Glasgow Film Festival in Scotland. So gearing up for that and then putting together my Italian movie that I'm hopefully directing in October. Nice. What's the name of the film? Uh, or... Teatro del More. But oh. I'm welcoming new titles. Okay. Yeah, because what does that what does that translate to for those who don't oh. speak Italian? Leah? So for everybody who doesn't speak Italian, it means theater of love. Nice, nice. Yeah. That nice. might be a working title. Okay. Working title. That might be a worthwhile title to explore. Theater of Love. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because I understand your your titles are, as you said, are always kind of generic, so they're always changing. People are always changing your titles, so always. it should be interesting to 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 see where it go. So, so one thing that I always like to ask my guests when they come on is how they got their start. So, how did the two of you get started in this business? Um, so I started as talent. So I started when I was probably 19 years old. I got uh, an agent um, and I started taking acting classes. And my, my teacher, my, my acting teacher at the time was like, you need to be reading scripts as well, Angel. And I don't know what her motivation was. If she saw that I could be a writer, if she's just like, well, you have to be able to read scripts to be able to act them. Very early on, she's like, you should you should be reading as many as you can. So I took that to heart and started reading as many as I could. And I realized, oh, maybe writing would be fun and maybe I should keep exploring this. Um, and then as a writer, I just never stopped learning and working on my stuff. But I started as talent and kind of have moved through a few different um, specialties and have finally come to writing, writing scripts pretty consistently. Mm. I started as a writer, so I have a MFA degree in creative writing, and then I have a master's degree in investigative journalism. But I got my investigative journalism degree on purpose because the scripts that I were reading and the movies that I liked were all written by journalists like Terrence Malick, 
Um, and people like that. And I was like, oh, there's something to the way that they're understanding the world and transcribing it into a script that I kind of want to find the meat of. So I, I went and attended Point Park University and then moved to Hollywood and a year of my life doing work for free. Mm. Anything that anybody needed something written, I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it for free because I wanted to build my resume. But more importantly, I wanted to build my connections. Hmm. That's that's very interesting. Now, I had another question, but I got to go. I got to go. Where, where, where <laughs> the fact that you decided to to work for free. Normally, when people decide I'm going to L.A., they always want to hit the ground running. And sometimes I don't think they understand that, yeah, you may hit the ground running, but you're hitting the ground floor running. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you said, I want to do it for free. Did you did you get any side eyes from people when you said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll do that for free. You, I'm, I'm, I'm not charging. Did you get what any? Are the, well, what are you doing that for? What are the things that horses have on blinders? blinders. Yeah, I had blinders on from the side eye. Mm -hmm. So I don't okay. know if I got it or not. Right. And and it helped you, I, I'm assuming. The yep. fact that you, you did everything for free and you built you built up some phenomenal relationships. Yeah, it was the relationships that really paid off, I think. Okay. So, I think, uh, sorry, please. just to interject. I no, think, no, please. I think the things you do for free at first... Mm -hmm. And you are either, quote unquote, passionate about them or curious enough to continue doing them or invest time to get better at them. I think those are the things where you ultimately like succeed deeply in life. You know, we don't have professional athletes who were getting paid from the jump. Mm -hmm. They were yeah. practicing and getting their reps in for free until they started getting they were good enough to get paid. Actors, they audition and take acting classes for free until they get paid. Writers write enough either in school or on their own until they get paid. That's like kind of natural progression of things. Like, and maybe people want to say, oh, I'm going to show up and start making money from the jump. And some people have lucked into that. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee they were writing before that for free, either for themselves or for a class or something. So it's kind of, I see it as the progression and the way in which you succeed is like, oh, if I'm going to do this on the weekends and in my extra time for free, even if it's for myself, then I have a higher likelihood of being able to get paid for it eventually. Yeah. And you, you said something and the word popped out, investing. And I don't think too often that when people get in this business and they don't know how it is, they don't understand that there is an investment that needs to be made. Because as you guys were talking about free, I remember plenty of times uh, when I was actually acting where I would work for copy and credit. Mm -hmm. yep. But I was working to be on a film set because I'm on the film set and there are things that I'm learning yep. that I could then use later on, you know, down the road, as you said, Angel, to actually get paid. And this is a story that I, I, that I would tell people all the time when I was writing scripts. I did not get paid for one script that I had written until I was 10 years into this business. It took me that long. And someone was like, 10 years? So what were you doing before then? Honing. Yeah. Building. Mm -hmm. and, and and basically, you know, doing doing what I had to do to get to get better at, at, at what you know I was doing. But Leah, I have a question. You were an investigative reporter and you helped exonerate a man that was in prison for 25 years 
uh, for a wrongful conviction. How did that come about? And, and what was it like actually doing that work? It was the most meaningful work that I've ever done in my whole life. Mm. I, I think I worked 80 hours a week. Most of that was free because it was literal lives on the line. And because our accuracy had to be so, uh, there was no margin of error for that kind of work because the margin of error was the man goes back to prison or the woman goes back to prison. And I got involved because um, Bill Mushi, my mentor, had been on that case when he was a reporter for the Post-Gazette in the 80s. And he came mm -hmm. across this man who had claimed that he was wrongfully convicted in the 70s for murdering um, murdering someone. He was a low-level co cocaine dealer, so his reputation in the courtroom was nothing. So they just put him behind bars. And Mushi stayed on the case the whole time. And he brought the case when he opened the Innocence Institute. Uh, I don't remember when he opened it, but when he opened it, he brought that case with him, and they had been working on it for a few decades. Hmm. Hmm. So, so how, how did you, how did you come across it? Oh, right. So the Innocence Institute was part of the grad program that I was uh, going through and okay. I applied for the job and there's something to be said about being older when you're going, when you're going back to school or you're applying for jobs. Um, he liked me because I was older because mm -hmm. if you're older and you're investing your time, which you find more precious, the older you, you get. So he hired me because of that. And um, it was great. I joke around that I learned how to swear and drink from him, but I really, I really learned how to care. And I think, wow. I think that caring about someone um, fostered my love of screenwriting and caring about the characters that I write about. So when, 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 when you're writing and, and the type of scripts that you write, the type of screenplays that you write, the fact that you went through that experience does that come through in a lot of your your, your screenplays even though some you know you, you wrote um you, you write horror and things like that does that that come through when you're writing in your yeah screenplays? actually yeah um so i have this one script that i wrote that i interviewed a bunch of retired police detectives up in oregon mm -hmm. and two of those detectives were the leads on two serial killer cases and that's what my uh my master's thesis was in serial killers because i wanted to come up with a way to apprehend female serial killers faster mm -hmm. and so i took that thesis and i took these interviews with all of these different retired police detectives and i wrote a, a detective story uh and that the work that I did at the Innocence Institute really helped inform how I approached that script. Hmm. So, so Andrew, I'm going to get to you in a second because I have some questions about your childhood because a genius musician as a dad and an aerospace engineer as a mom, I'm like, I want to know what it was like to live in that house. But, but Leah, you talked about the difference between male serial killers and women serial killers and the fact that women seem to get away with it a lot more because that's not something that they normally associate with women, which is killing multiple people. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So even now, people don't think that women can be that violent. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the arresting officers of the Giggling Granny, I believe she was known as, I think she was a Black Widow serial killer. Oh, wow. um, she killed 
many, many of her husbands and buried them in the yard. And she was laughing the whole time she was arrested. I think she was in her 60s when she got arrested. And her arresting officer during the court trial spoke on her behalf to wow. not be sentenced. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? Wow. Because if that would have been a man sitting there, they'd have been like, throw, throw him under the bus, throw him under the yeah. jail. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so switching gears, you know, as I said, Angel, what was it like growing up in your house with a father who was a, a, a genius musician wise and your mom who was an aerospace engineer? What, what was a, or was it just a normal type of day? Because when I read that, I said, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. So there's probably nothing normal. <laughs> about my childhood um okay so my dad was uh he was he was not just a a, a pretty accomplished musician he was a, he was mm. a polymath so he was pretty high level in several areas mm. he as far as like artistry he was a, a pretty accomplished artist as well as playing like dozens and dozens of instruments at a professional level um but he was a stay-at-home dad he was he was the artist so he was there all day long when my mom was working at a big aerospace company in Long Beach, you know, nine to five, basically. So the gender roles were somewhat reversed from what traditional American roles were. My dad stayed home, took care of us kids, kept the house clean, cooked some meals. My mom was off like working in nine to five. So that was like the inverse um, compared to what a lot of people experienced. But there was always music in the house, you know, from before I was born until, you know, uh, couple weeks before my father passed away. I remember him playing last song I ever heard him play was summertime on his guitar in the living room, you know, so, so, a song I'd heard him played dozens, if not hundreds of times before. So there's always music in the house. Um, my mom was a, was a mathematician and, a, and an engineer. So as far as like schoolwork and, and any of uh, the maths and sciences, she had that, you know, on lock. And my dad was obviously the arts guy. So, you know, seeking guidance and like insight into those things, I had two like pretty reliable sources, which was great. Hmm. The weird thing, or maybe not the weird thing, but the cool thing is that, so my father passed when I was 18 and my mom went through a pretty difficult time after that, obviously. But after he passed, she retired from the aerospace um, industry and she began woodworking and creating artwork herself. And now she's hmm. become... She would, she would not say she's pretty high level, but she's a pretty high level woodworker. So she's transitioned out of like the minutia of mathematics and aerospace engineering into an art form of her own, which is kind of interesting to see, you know, the older I get, the more my, my, both my parents, you know, my, my dad was pretty early on, but my mom has evolved away from just this one thing she was great at to being really great at something not associated with like math and science. So, so as a, as a child, had your mom ever expressed an interest in, in woodworking? No, not no? at all. No, not at all. My father was a woodworker. He built a lot of our furniture. He okay. would fix things. But my mom, no, no, no interest at all. So then one day she just picked it up. You know, I think it was an outgrowth of being widowed, relatively okay. young, um, having two of her children out of the house and being a widow, right? Mm -hmm. And then she retired. So she had all of this energy she needed to put towards something. Hmm. And at first it was, it was it was carving and it was some clay sculpting. And then ultimately for some reason, I don't know if there's like tools left over from my father or if this is just what she gravitated to, she got into woodworking and it's like 
like intricate Murphy beds and, and like beautiful benches and chairs that look like art. It's, I mean, it's off the charts. Hmm. And, and I'm wondering, see, this is the, this is the artsy guy and the romantic in me. And I'm just wondering if, if that's something she picked up because it made her feel closer to her husband who was no longer there. The fact that, as she said, some things may have been, uh, some of his tools might have been left around and she picked it up one day and it felt good in her hand. And she said, you know what? you know what, let me give this a try and, and see what happens. And, and it kind of, you know, to me, it, it, it seems like she was honoring his memory and the love that, that the two of them shared, you know, uh, when, when he was still here. But that's that's just me being a romantic. I don't know. I like, oh, it's I, a lovely thought. Yeah. It's, it's a lovely thought. And I'll ask her. I'll, I'll ask her and <laughs> I'll find out. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So fast forward to, to today. Um, Leah, you're writing award-winning document, documentaries and films. And Angel, you're you're also doing the same thing, doing music and spearheading the the documentary after the fade. Now, how did all of that bring the two of you together? Oh, I just love when Angel tells this story. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we were shooting uh, a movie that Leah had written and was directing during the pandemic. It was a poetic werewolf love epic horror thriller that I was starring in as a werewolf. Mm. And during it, I pitched to her. I said, yeah, you know, I write too, and I'm working on the script. And I told her about my script. And she said, I want to come on and produce that. Let me know when the script is done. I'd love to read it. Year and a half later, a year later, I finished the script. And I said, I'm not going to let you read the script, but I'm going to perform it for you. I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to read all the characters, all the stage directions. I'm going to do this for you. So over two evenings, I like performed the script for her. And she's like, great, I want to produce it. Let's do it. Also, what other ideas do you have? I was like, oh, I got this one dumb idea. She goes, that's great. I'm going to find somebody to fund that. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. And then she found somebody to fund that. And then she goes, what other ideas do you have? And I go, oh, I got this other dumb idea. She goes, no, that's great. I'm going to find some money for that. And then the next thing you know, I've got like several things funded. And I'm like, what? Pat, what? <laughs> Leah, how do you find this money? Because you always hear about how difficult mm -hmm. it is to actually get people to finance film projects, especially independent film projects. It's so, so hard. How, how so how do you do it? Because you, you got two of Angel's projects funded. Well, these are these are these are podcasts that have been funded. We're still oh. working on the we're still working on the indie film okay. projects, which well, in the, the documentary. Awesome. The documentary, sure. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. that's one funny. Yes. But even so, you know, being in the arts, it's just hard getting money for the arts. It's impossible. Yeah, that's not a real job. <laughs> so, so Leah, how do you how do you how do you do it? I think, uh, gosh, I hope this doesn't sound too corny, but be kind. Like have have a presence that is genuine and be out there in the world and present the kindness that's in your heart to other people. Because mm. I posted on social media that I was looking for uh, investors in a short film of mine that I eventually cast Angel in and directed him in. And this person contacted me after he had done research. He like he looked at all the stuff that I had done on social media. And the stuff that I had done on social media was, hey, I'm having this contest for um, horror writers. Mm -hmm. I would choose a random person and pay for their entry into ScreenCraft Horror Competition. I was like, I'm having a contest for female screenwriters. Everybody who posts... I'll pick one of you and I'll do a phone call conversation and guide you whatever questions you have. And I ended up doing 15 phone calls because I, I couldn't say no to anyone. Mm -hmm. 
And so having that presence online made him reach out to me and know that I would do right by the money that he invested in my project. And it just started from there. And he actually is the one who funded our podcast pitch. Mm. Oh, okay. So yeah, let's talk about that. Um, so you guys get together mm. and then you start pitch, which is, how, how did you come up with that concept? Again, okay. it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Angel has such a great story on the origin of this. I'll let so how, how, did it, how did this happen? So I, so Lee and I are constantly talking about what scripts we're working on and our ideas, right? And she'll describe an idea to me and I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. She'll, I'll describe what I think is the worst idea to her. And she'll be like, that's great. And I'm like, is it great though? But in these conversations, we would always like bring up why well, I, I talked to this one person about this story idea and they, they just didn't respond to it. And she's like, yeah, I kind of like found myself talking to this person and it didn't go well. So I was like, we actually need to learn how to pitch our ideas. We need to learn how to talk about our story ideas in a way that makes people excited. That was the first conversation I had. I was like, Leah, we got to figure this out. And she's like, leave me alone. I don't want to do it. I was like, no, let's, let's systematize Accurate. it. Let's, mm. let's create like a program for us to like learn how to pitch. Let's find pitches in the world. Let's read all these resources. She's like, yeah, whatever. So we started doing it anyway. And we found some cool examples. And then a couple months pass and she says, hey, Angel, I have this great idea. I go, what's your idea? She goes, we should do a podcast about how to like pitch story ideas so we can learn how to pitch. And I was like, that's a great idea. But I remember like several months ago when I said we should learn how to pitch. This is like kind of that, right? And she's like, no, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, let's do your podcast idea. And then we were off to the races once we, we got our, our, um, our producing Wait, partner. Yes. What what am I what am I leaving? Well, out? you're skipping you're skipping the step where we went to Sundance has this wonderful collab that we were a mm -hmm. part of, and That's that right. helped yeah. us that helped us hone some of the skills that we already had in pitching because we mm -hmm. took the producers lab and it helps you take a project through different steps that they give you kind of tips on and one of the steps was how to pitch. And we were like, oh, this is gold. Like it really matters these certain things in a pitch. Are consistent because there's no one way to get a manager. There's no one way to write a screenplay. There's no one way to pitch. So we're like, how do we expound on that? Mm -hmm. That's right. Hmm. I did forget the Sundance component, um, hmm. which was a great um, kind of our first introduction to people who yeah. were making films, had made films, and helped other people make films, and also had pitched films. They were saying, hey, look, if and it was a producer's um, component of the Sundance program. They were like, if you're producing a thing, you need to be pitching the thing. And this is what we suggest you do. And then let's practice it some. Hmm. So that, that was also. And then after that, I think Leah was like, we should do a podcast about pitching. Yeah. That's interesting. So you guys said, OK, we're going to do the pitch. And then you run it by some of your friends. And they're like who the hell told you to come up with that idea? There are some reservations. Yep. And a lot of people are not really feeling the idea because you have people coming on and they're speaking what they're working on out into the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone sitting there is like, oh, so you're just telling everybody what your screenplay is about? Not that they would be sitting there writing things down, but who knows? So how did you guys 
get around people's reservations when it came to doing your podcast the way you wanted to do it? We just ignored those people. We didn't ignore them. We listened to them. We mm -hmm. listened to their what they said and said, why are they having reservations? Mm -hmm. And then we, we did, yeah. And then we figured out a way to structure to distribute the actual script pitches in a way that is to a limited audience. Mm. So on our very first episode of Pitch, we wanted to show the world what we're doing. So I took a script that I've been working on for years. I don't I don't need it to be like a secret. Leah took one that she's been working on for a long time. She doesn't need to be a secret. Said so this is what we're doing. <laughs> and everyone else's pitches we have behind basically a subscription service because mm -hmm. we figured out if you take a pitch to development executives, to agents, to studios, those are buyers. They're not likely to steal it. Yeah. Um, they want to bring the writer on who conceived it because that's probably the best person to write that story. And if we structure those episodes being distributed in a way where it's a subscription and we can like kind of vet that list, then we don't have to worry about like, my idea is so precious. Now the whole world knows that they're going to steal it type right. of thinking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we approached a lot of uh, producers, producer friends of ours and financier friends of ours and lawyer friends of ours. And we were like, how can we do this? What what do we need to be aware of? Why are you cautious about this idea? So, okay. So the, the podcast, that part of the podcast is basically private. It, it, am I getting that right? The subscription. So that's not something that if I wanted to listen to it, I could just turn on you on the pitch and actually listen to someone doing their pitch. I would actually have to purchase a subscription in order to hear that portion of it. Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Only the first episode of that part of the podcast is free. Okay. So that people can have an idea of how it's structured. Okay. Okay. So what does, if, if you don't mind my asking, and if you can disclose that, what does a subscription cost? It's a great question. Um, we forget. I don't know what the subscription costs for this season, but- Okay. Keep stalling, what, Angel, I'll look it up. But the way we structured it and the way mm -hmm. I, I initially conceived it is like all across the history of Hollywood, mm -hmm. film and television, People have walked into a room and said, what's your story about? And someone has said, this is what's my story about and talked for three to 20 minutes, right? Right. If those stories are excellent, but don't have the right person in the room across from them wanting to buy them, those that pitch dies. Mm -hmm. No mm -hmm. one hears that pitch. There's no audience that gets to hear that amazing little bit of um, verbal storytelling. And I was like, well, if there's no bank of amazing verbal stories that have gone pitched in Hollywood... Part of what we're doing is we're creating a bank, a vault of pitches forevermore. So if someone subscribed to the first season, they got X number of pitches for whatever they paid. If they mm -hmm. subscribe to the second season, they get all of the first season and all of the second season's pitches, right? So wherever you subscribe, you get to tap into the bank of pitches that have been that have come before that moment, right? So whether you just want to listen to how stories are being pitched or you want to buy stories, you have access to, you know, depending on how long we do this podcast, hundreds, if not thousands of pitches in our bank. So we think whatever the price is, um, and Leah probably just looked it up, whatever the price is, we, we think there's huge like value there 
given what you're paying for? What what what, what is the number right now, Leah? Oh yeah, so it's different tiers, and the first okay. tier is zero, so free, and then okay. the tier after that it's five dollars a month, and then it goes up from there, and you get certain incentives the higher you go. I think. I think the highest one that it goes, you get a phone call with me. And then you $5 get five dollars a month. Five dollars a month. And it's um, I think the highest it goes is twenty-five dollars a month. Really? Twenty-five. Yeah, and all of all of those will include the pitches from our writers and then additional yeah. incentives and perks. I, I don't want you to think that I'm just like, really, five dollars a month? I'm saying it like that because okay, a little bit about me. Hmm. I'm a mentor. I have a nonprofit where I teach filmmakers the business of filmmaking. And one of the things, if you ever listen to me anywhere on the internet, the one thing, the one through line that you will always hear me talk about is the business of this business and how you have to be a business person. And one thing, I actually did a panel a few days ago, and one of the things that I told the, the audience was that every single person sitting in this room is a sole proprietor. You are the business. If you're an actor, you're a business. If you're a filmmaker, you're a business. So when you said $5 a month, I said $5 a month because if you're not investing in your business mm -hmm. to become better at what you do, then why are you doing it? So mm -hmm. when you're sitting there talking about, okay, well, if you if you subscribe to this season, you get this. If you subscribe to that season. So you could actually spend under $500 and have almost three seasons of innumerable phenomenal pitches, because I'm sure you guys only put the best pitches up, where people can actually listen, learn, and hone their craft. And, and, am I on to something? You're you're one hundred percent on something with one caveat. Mm. We don't discriminate with who submits pitches. We ah. as people who don't we, we want to open doors, right? Leah's big yeah. thing is like there's so many closed doors and difficult mm -hmm. doors to break through in this industry. If someone has a finished script, they can do a log line, they can tell us their why, and they can do a three minute pitch. We're not gonna judge the quality of their product be, mm -hmm. because someone else it may resonate with them. We're not buyers, I'm not yep. a producer, Leah isn't a distributor. So we have a pretty broad catalog because we want to open doors for writers. There's we just so many. Go ahead, Angel. I was just thinking it's a good thought to maybe like have tiers within our library. And maybe mm -hmm. that's something that we could talk about pricing wise, you know, like collating quality. Right. But that's like subjective ultimately. But everything else you said is spot on 100 percent. So. How do you guys get the managers to, and the producers and the agents involved? How do do they get to hear the pitches? Or do you have do you have basically a pool of producers, managers, agents, and you say, okay, well, uh, or do they act, do they actually have to subscribe as well, or or, or do they get free access? No, because they have the, to subscribe. Okay, they have to subscribe as well. And your question as to how we get in touch with them, uh, we do kind of marketing campaigns. We get in touch with them through different email lists that we have, or we partner with ScreenCraft or, or other organizations that have access to those people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a friend of a friend, you know, this business is so small once you get to a certain point. 
And we also rely on the the free portion of the podcast mm -hmm. and guests like Franklin Leonard and Bill Thompson and people who have stature in the industry going on and lending their, you know, insight into the free portion where we all talk about writing in the industry and stuff. Oh, well, you know, like production head at X studio knows Franklin and Franklin says, oh, hey, just did this podcast. They, they have this pitch component where you get to listen to pitches on your car ride into work and your car ride home if you're looking for stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of re rely, re relying on that as being like a little bit of a funnel toward the um, subscription side of things. Hmm. So how, how has the reception been from screenwriters with this? So great. I went to the Austin Film Festival to market the podcast and I handed out, I think I had two or 400 items of swag that I handed out to all of the people who attended. Mm -hmm. And when I told them about the podcast, they were like, where do I send my materials to? Because mm. it's free to send to us. We're not a contest. We're not a competition. We want to get your work out to people. That's our goal. Because there's mm. so many, I have like rejection fatigue. And I think a lot of writers suffer from that because every year we're told that one of the avenues that you can get an agent or, or a manager or funding or your project noticed in the trades is contests. And contests are so ridiculously expensive, right? And it's, it's prohibitive to a certain um, bracket and economic bracket. It's prohibitive. How am I supposed to afford $80 for a contest when that's my gas money for like the month, right? And so we we wanted we wanted to make sure that we were as open as possible to the public. And that's why the name of the email address that I picked for people to submit to is doors will open pitch at Gmail because doors will open. They should. Wow. That's that's beautiful. So with what you just said. It is the goal for the two of you to to have more writers and filmmakers because oftentimes, you know, when you're at a certain level, you're writing and you're producing the film. Mm -hmm. Is 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 the goal for the two of you to have more, I would just say content creators producing work outside the studio system or both outside and with with within the system? I, I think both. You'd say both. Yeah, what would you say? Um, I'd say it's twofold. I'd mm -hmm. say there's an educational component for myself mm -hmm. in hosting and interviewing the people we host and interview. Like I didn't get better pitching, you know, doing my first two episodes. The entire first season and then editing the first season was kind of my undergrad program in, in pitching and like what to do. Now that we're in the second season i find myself in the world talking about my scripts and people responding much better right and it's been a year so i'm like all right in a year's time my personal education on how to talk about my scripts and keep people engaged has improved dramatically so if i can help other people do that about their work then that is one thing the other thing like we said is is how do we get access as unknown writers in this industry and we've talked at, at, at length about how like the best scripts, if you write an amazing script, people will come knocking. It's like, yeah, sure. Write Memento, write the usual suspects, write the, you know, the once a decade phenomenal script, but also like those scripts come along once every seven years, mm -hmm. right? Like the best scripts, like the top scripts that like Hollywood comes calling those come along like really rarely. Like I read the blacklist every year and they're all great, but like the ones that are like mind blowing, once every few years. Mm. 
So how do the rest of us mere mortal writers who are good put in the time, can tell a good story, can take notes, right? How do we help those people who don't have the $100 resubmission fees to get their scripts on the blacklist, to get up to that eight? If they got a seven, they got to get an eight, right? Well, if they like have to resubmit it, they need that extra hundred bucks. So how do we open a door for them? Yeah. We create a platform where it costs nothing for them to submit, but it costs the industry a little bit every month to hear that. Mm. And then so if we can get people into the pipeline of like studio, even like small studio, small, small production company, Hollywood, that's the second part for me. And then if they can do stuff on their own based on a little bit of what they've learned from our podcast and do it a little bit better, then that would be the third component for me. Can I, I'm going to piggyback off of this because I think what the audience wants to know as well is, well, what did you learn or how through all of season one, what are some tidbits of information that you can give us how to pitch better? And for me, I think listening to all of those pitches, it's leading with the emotion of the character. I think a lot of times you're thinking about the pitch, you're thinking plot. Mm -hmm. Don't think plot at the start. Think what is what is the emotional journey? How are you pitching that first? And then I would also say it is so important, and I fight Angel on this a lot, to practice your pitch with somebody. I hate practicing my pitch, <laughs> and Angel forces me to do it, and it's good. It's good to have friends like that in your life, but having a soundboard that isn't your mom or isn't somebody that's just going to give you what you want to hear and gives you mm -hmm. constructive feedback, not negative feedback, not positive feedback, constructive feedback. It's, it's kind of vital. Um, Angel, do you have anything that you want to add for tidbits that you've learned for season one? It's, it's so much. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't come up with a way to do, do a five second soundbite with what the takeaways are yet. I'm getting, I'm getting better at doing it live myself, but as far as being like, you do this, this, and this boom, mm -hmm. like I don't have that yet. End of season mm -hmm. two, stay tuned. Yeah. It's interesting. I was listening. I cannot remember this gentleman's name, but I was listening to film courage uh, a few weeks ago and he was talking about writers and he talked about the fact that you have the major studios, you know, the major studios and the major, uh, tentpole movies, the Marvel movies and things like that. But he said the vast majority of the things being made are between the $2 million, $20, 50000000 million range and that they are actually starving for that type of content. And he he called them golden ticket genres. The uh, the movie with, with, with the girl and a boy, love story, the dog, um, things like that. And he says... If you can write that, he said, you can make a pretty good living in this business. So with 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 the pitch, when you guys are listening, what what what? I don't even know if this is a good question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What what is basically the through line of the the pitches that you hear as far as genres are concerned, or is it all over the place? We get a vast array of all the genres, mm -hmm. I want to say. We even got animated, half-hour mm -hmm. animated genres, and it was very fun and entertaining. I think Austin yeah. Kimmel did that one. But there's not just a slew of a bunch of dramas or a slew mm -hmm. of a bunch of this, because I tried really hard when I reached out to people on social media to submit their materials to make sure I had a representation of people. Okay. And that representation of people told all kinds of different stories. Angel, you listen to them like over and over. 
I listened to that same film courage thing. I, I forget the gentleman's name, but he did talk about those golden ticket genres. It was yes. really interesting. Yeah. It was it was a paradigm that I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, he's got this is this is accurate from what I from what I've seen. Yeah. He's right. These are the perennial genres. These are the genres that were popular 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. He's like, these stories sell. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think many people are thinking like that. I think there's probably a subset of writers who are aware of that paradigm and are crafting their stories according to what he's talking about. Mm. Um, but I'll, I'll second what Leah says. We, we have stuff all over the place for what we're getting. And even like writing wise, mm-hmm. like what I'm writing and the projects I'm working on, the slate of things, they're all over the place. Yeah. But when I heard what he said, I was like, all right, well, are any of mine already close to that? If so, how do I refocus that lens to see if what his paradigm is talking about resonates with me and then how, if I can test his theories. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's interesting that you heard, you were, you were listening to that too. Cause I thought that was cool. Yeah. Well, he said uh, that that was a phrase that he made up to go to, that was his, that was his own phrase, yeah. but it's interesting. Kind of like, you know, I had the reaction you kind of had when I heard it, a light bulb went off mm. and I said, Oh snap, he's absolutely right. Because you look at, Hallmark, the channel, the Hallmark Channel, mm-hmm. and then you then you look at Lifetime. Mm-hmm. They are making a killing over there. You know, they're not they're not worried about Captain America. I mean, they they are making solid movies. I actually saw this movie uh, last year, a Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie, <laughs> and it was awesome. Me and my wife were like, "Oh, this movie is so good." It was cheesy, but it was solid and it was really good, and it kept us engaged for the entirety of the movie. So I said, this guy is, is really going to something. But let me ask you guys this. Since its inception, have there actually been writers who've gotten representation from your podcast or even had, had a sit-down meeting with, with agents or producers? So we now invite all the writers that have been on season one to write to us and let us know if they've mm. gotten representation. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, we we have a we don't have a a strong two way communication chain with mm-hmm. all of the writers who submit to us. A lot of them submit to many things, and I know there's been a few who have like posted updates about, oh, hey, I did really well in this contest with my my script, or another person's like, hey, I, I you know I got this meeting with the production company with my script. Um, yeah. So a lot of them are are doing what a lot of us are. They're okay. following. They're going down a lot of different avenues to get themselves and their work into the world. So we should probably follow up with everybody and be like, hey, what's the update for 2024 with your script, with your career and stuff? That might be a good component yeah. um, to add to our communication with them because it's a lot to manage. You know, mm-hmm. we've got several dozen writers who've already submitted scripts and stuff to us, to us. Um, so then to communicate with them about what's going on with them, we may need to find a way to make that like an easy interface. Leah, we'll talk to we'll talk to our tech guy about that. We got a tech yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Because you know what? I would be interested in knowing, but more importantly, if you have someone that's on the fence, my thing is don't take my, I always tell people, don't take my word for it. Look me up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if someone's saying, well, I really don't know about you guys. Hey, don't take our word for it. Go check the, the receipts. These yeah. are the people that that have actually and even if nothing comes of it and, and you guys were on a podcast and the gentleman said that when he pitches, he's not really interested in them buying his screenplay. 
he's more interested in them hearing his voice. So if a, a screenwriter actually gets to sit in a room with someone and they say, okay, well, you know what, you know what, Leah, that was great, but that's not for us. But when you leave, as you said, you know, be in the room, I, you, you said something to that effect, Leah. When you leave, they're saying, you know what, she was all right. We're, we're going to keep her in mind for something else. Um, I am constantly cool in rooms. So that is okay. awesome. To me. <laughs> so um, what, what's the end game? Do you guys actually see yourselves somewhere in the future partnering with studios as a pipeline to writers? Because I really think you guys are onto something here. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I would I would love to partner with any and or all the studios. And uh, what I have to remind myself is we're still in our infancy. Mm -hmm. Like we model, we, we like stumbled through the first season in that it was our first, basically first podcast we'd ever done. So from soup to nuts, we did everything right. And it's still, we're only a year out from when we launched last year, right? We're, we're 12 yeah. months from when we, so we're in our infancy as far as like partnerships, as far as like results, as far as feedback, as far as like, if if Warner Brothers or Paramount is like, we, we learned about you guys, we want to bring you in-house and have this component of how we operate, that'd be amazing. I don't know that we're there yet. I, mm -hmm. I, I My whole goal for the first like couple years was to like gain uh, a bank of both script epi uh, pitch episodes and free episodes. So then we are uh, a viable entity. Franklin Leonard talks about his first couple years doing the blacklist. He was trying to keep it a secret. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. He wasn't trying to let anybody know he was doing it because he he thought he was going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think he even talked about people like, "Yeah, you should be doing this." Yeah. Nonetheless, a few years in, people are like, "Hey, when is the blacklist coming out?" So he stayed consistent. He he built up a bank, right? He did his thing, and then several years in, he was established as a thing that people wanted to go to as a resource. So from the first people who were like a little skeptical about what we were doing, who were like, you shouldn't, you do that. You can't do that. People are like, I don't want to, I don't want to put my pitch out there because I don't want people stealing it. All that stuff we acknowledged and we respect, but it's like, let's just keep doing what we're doing mm -hmm. and see if we can't establish ourselves one for each other, two for the podcast. And that is a business entity. And then three for our listeners and people who are like learning from us. And then if the industry at large wants to say, hey, we'd like your service, we need it, we're, we're open. We're open for all partnerships. Let's, let's sit down and have a, have a conversation. Yeah. If I listen to all the no's in my life and like, okay, I shouldn't do that thing, then I'd be dying of diabetes in Ohio, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man, that's a good turn. That's interesting. That's yeah, interesting. That's... That could be a horror movie. That could be. That could be. A, <laughs> yeah. That could be. You know, a, a, a horror. Spoonful yeah. of sugar. Uh, diabetes in in Ohio. So hey, yeah. real American horror right there. You know, Sequel. wow. Yeah, but you know what? The, the quote you said was "Be the room." Be the room. But you 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 said something interesting there because we're 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 almost done because I don't want to monopolize you guys' time. But you said something really interesting about when you read a script if if someone gives you something to read you mm -hmm. said you read it until the first mistake yeah can you talk about that a little bit because i was like Ooh. 
this is this is real quick. This is why I wanted to read her my script because I knew there were some typos in those first couple pages. Okay. I was like, don't read it, don't read it. I'm gonna perform it for you. Trust okay. me, all the periods and commas are right. <laughs> okay, so I say that and I'll be lenient for friends of mine and I'll read mm -hmm. through because we trade scripts on and off all of the time. But if it's a stranger and you're sending me your script, you are asking me to spend half of my day reading and giving you notes on something. So you were taking my time back to time again. You're taking my time. And my time is very precious to me. Like I, sometimes I don't have time to call my mom. I'm using my time for you. And so if I'm giving you my time, then you better make sure that you are respecting it by paying attention to the material you are sending me. So 48 minutes and 20 seconds into the podcast, you guys were given a master class. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to that because time is the one commodity that you cannot get back. Everything else you can, money, replaceable, time, not. So that that's phenomenal. So you did after the fade, Angel. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so so the podcast is called Before the Fade. Mm -hmm. Documentary. I'm still working on setting that up. Is called After the Fade, and this is this this was born out of an idea that, I mean, it, it really was like a like an interpersonal like joke. I would be in a car with someone, a friend, girlfriend, and there'd be like a Steely Dan song, oh, which I'm a huge Steely Dan fan. Oh, we we have so much in common. I love. All right, Steely there we go. Dan. So so, and at the end of a Steely, almost every Steely Dan song, there's some crazy guitar solo going just like shredding as it fades out. Peg. 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 Uh, Black Friday, like all of them. Shredding, right? And the, the quieter the fade gets, the crazier the solo gets. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up playing the saxophone. Jazz was my first like passion. So I'm like curious about what these soloists are doing. So I would turn the volume up. <laughs> and I realized somewhere along the way, they just kept recording. And there's probably a couple mm. more minutes of this song that they just mm. had to fade out for on the radio edit. So I would annoy my friends and be like, listen to this solo on this fade. And Leah was like, hey, that, that would be a really fun thing to explore in a documentary. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, if you went and like found these people and like listened to the masters right before they faded out mm. and you got to hear what they did after they faded. And I was like, oh, that's that, that'd be a fun idea. I'd, lo I'd love to learn. I'd love to hear what's what's on the rest of that solo on Peg or Black Friday or Deacon Blues or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Right. She goes, well, I know a guy who does documentaries. Let's have a conversation. So we talked to her friend, Vincent, who does documentaries all the time. And he's like, look, sounds like a great idea. I'm in. But what you should do first is do a podcast to build up, one, your expertise or your, your, your muscle of doing this sort of, a, this sort of a documentary, right? And then, two, to build a, an audience. And I said, well, if I'm going to do a podcast, I'm not going to call it after the fade. I'm going to call it before the fade, which is where I sit down with like, um, I'm just finishing uh, editing the episode with Susan Rogers. Now, if you don't know who Susan Rogers is, she was Prince's main sound engineer. Mm. For Purple Rain all the way through like oh, wow. Under the Cherry Moon. She was with him oh, for like wow. seven, seven years for his, like, for his like best stuff. So I sit down with someone like Susan and I say, what was it like to work with Prince? And we talk for two hours. We talk about her favorite Prince songs, their background and stuff. So after the fade... It's coming before the fade is in the works right now. And because I'm a musician, I was like, this is my first, this is my first non-artist, non-creator, creative way of like putting stuff out there into the world. Because hmm. up until that point, I'd been acting and writing scripts, period. 
which is talent and, you know, creating, right? I'm a writer. Okay. Then this is like, you know, well, I'm a musician by like my, my, my childhood, by my first profession, by my first like passion, right? How do I jump into that arena and put some great content out there that the world can enjoy and hear like me talk to some like really cool engineers and musicians and stuff? Hmm. I think Angel and I's uh, creative relationship is based on him being curious about something and me going, let's make that happen. Okay. And I think it's a, I think it's an important dynamic because you need sometimes you need both of those things to make a dream come true. And yeah. so the end of that equation is your dreams can't be got alone. You need people in your life. You need supporters in your life. So find those people who are saying yes to you and and make sure you keep them in your corner. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But before we go, Leah, you did a film on someone who is near and dear to my heart. Oh, in the yeah. light of the moon, in the light of the moon, Beowulf. Can you talk about that? Because when I saw that, I said she did a movie on Beowulf. Yeah. Now I, I'm, I'm a little different. I was reading Beowulf in 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 middle school, when when everyone else was outside running around, I was reading about Grendel and. Uh, King of the Geats and stuff like that. So can you talk about that movie and where can I see it? Yeah, so we've actually gotten our VFX done and we're getting ready to distribute so you can see it soon. Oh. And how it came about was, it was the pandemic and okay. I think it was the height of the pandemic and a friend of mine had connections to people who would offer us an MG, which is a minimum guarantee to make a movie. Uh, I had the meeting and they didn't give us the minimum guarantee, but I was like, you know what? I have been so afraid of directing because I don't want to try at something that I'll fail at. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's stupid, Welch. That's dumb. Why, why do you feel that way? Don't, don't be like that. So I, I made a vow to myself that I would direct a feature film before I turned 40. So I was like, oh, I have six months to do that. <laughs> and I sold everything that I owned except for my bed and my car. And I did uh, a kind of successful GoFundMe. And then I had no pride and I emailed and texted everybody that I've ever met in my whole entire life asking them for money. And I was like, can you donate instead of buying me a birthday gift, donate $40 to my GoFundMe so I can make this movie. Um, and I did. I made it. And it was a blast. We Angel was there. He played... Um, Bulavai, which is Beowulf, and we holed up in a cabin. The crew was in one cabin. The cast was in another cabin. We filmed it in eight days, oh, wow. which is in, we filmed like 14 pages a day. And then I restructured the entire ending the day before our last day. So I rewrote that and <laughs> uh, yeah, it's insane. And I wouldn't change any of it. It was a blast. I had so much fun. I was happy every day because I was doing what I love with people I cared about. I literally was so happy. I was like, she's got to be on an antidepressant. <laughs> Some stuff went wrong on that. And I was like, she is, she is just as happy as if it was going right. What mm -hmm. is going on? And it really was like just the fact that you were on set shooting yeah. your movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you that you talk about that because, you know, and you, you're saying she was happy and things were going wrong. 
uh, I'm reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's latest book, Be Useful, and he talked about when he would be in the gym and people would always see him smiling. And he was, he said, sometimes I would be in so much pain, but I was happy because I knew that me squatting 600 pounds for 10 sets was leading to something. So it wasn't that the pain was bad. The pain was an indication that I was moving in the right direction. And the fact that you said she was smiling, she was smiling because she was like, shit, first, I didn't even want to direct. I'm on, I'm on set directing. And, and this is a gentleman that I listened to. When you, when you said what you said, Leah, this is a gentleman that I listened to by the name of Ed Milet. And he always says, things don't happen to you, they happen for you. And mm -hmm. the fact that you were told no, and were kind of put in a position of, I can either do it myself or not do it at all, but you decided to do it, is something that didn't happen to you. In my humble opinion, it happened for you because you took it to con, you sold it, and if, if I'm not mistaken, did, did I get that right? You took it to the, to the, to the film market and sold it? Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, yeah. and, and that all stemmed from you deciding to make the decision to bet on yourself. It's just like what Nishi, Nishi yeah. uh, Dash said the other day in her acceptance speech. She said, I want to thank me for believing in me when no one else would. So you yeah. took a chance on you and believed in you when no one else would. So yeah. I, I think that's absolutely amazing. I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to have faith in yourself. Because a lot of us don't treat ourselves like our best friend. We we Ooh, were allowed to swear on this podcast. We shit on ourselves. We talk so negative. We think worst case scenario. But why? Why does it have to be the worst case scenario? Why can't you even it out and think the worst case and then think the best case? Maybe you land in the middle. Yeah, and that's so true. Um, because I'm a life coach as well, and and I always. I always ask that question because I'm in, I'm, a, I'm a language empowerment coach. And I say, I say to people, I said, well, let me ask you a question. So you talked negatively about yourself, correct? They're like, yeah. I said, so what would be the harm in switching that up? And like you said, when, when you were saying I can't direct, and then you turned around and said, well, that's bullshit. Why can't I direct? Who said you can't, I, you know, who, who said you can't? And you know, yeah. we, we have, we have a, a phenomenal film that I can't wait to see. So what's next for the two of you? Can I? Please. I'm gonna be a little, I'm gonna geek out just a little bit to, oh, and then I'll go. tell you what I'm doing. Please, please do. But exactly everything that you said. So in quantum physics, there's something called collapse of the wave function. And if you don't know what it is, that's okay. Cause I'm about to tell you what it is. Okay. It's this, it's kind of not just the power of speech or the power of belief in yourself, but joining those two things together. And they had people hold DNA samples in their hand and they thought this positive thing and nothing happened. And then they felt this positive thing and nothing happened. But with the collapse of the wave function, um, something that is possible, anything that is possible that you focus on becomes real because you're seeing it into existence. So when they're holding this DNA sample and they combine those two things, it literally under a microscope changed the formations of the DNA. So the way that you're talking and the way that you're feeling and the way that you're combining those things, and if you're saying no, 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 then no, 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 no is going to happen. But the possibility or the probability of all the yes that you're giving yourself, you can 
kind of manifest, but manifest is the wrong word here because it's actual quantum physics. And now I'm going to put a pin in that and I'm going to tell you what I'm working on because I'm so excited about it. Other than us working on season two of Pitch, which stand by, it's coming. I'm going to Italy to direct my feature film in October. I'm almost fully funded for that. And I'm working on partnering with a production company in Scotland to film another feature film. It'll be an art house horror. And I'm writing a book. I have a poetry book coming out this year in a couple months and stuff with Angel, I guess. Phenomenal. All right, Murphy, your turn. Yeah, so uh, this uh, I'm, I'm writing and, and pitching all year. I've got, a, I've got a feature script I'm working on right now called Black Dudes. Um, it's about two like lily white kind of entitled um, influencers who visit a voodoo priestess in New Orleans. Oh, Lord. To get some content, right? Oh, gosh. And then they somehow get quantum leaped or groundhog dayed into the bodies of black men throughout American history. So I'm working on that right now. Okay. <laughs> now, now, is that a comedy? Here's the here's the here's the rub. Or is that a dramedy? It's a it's a dramedy. It's like okay. a black dark dark comedy. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's like it go it goes some places. Okay. Yeah, that's like interesting. What was that, Leah? We watched White Chicks the other day together, and as research for your movie Black Dudes, and you're yeah. like, yeah, the the humor doesn't work the other way. No, it doesn't work the other way. Um, and White Chicks is one of my favorite movies. I love the Wayans, but um, that's like a spiritual successor but it's not the same tone at all mm -mm. um and then i got my next feature script which is black woman white mountain mm. it's about a city slicker black woman who finds herself at the top of a dangerous remote mountain with a dangerous deadly storm approaching just after her new boyfriend and the couple they were traveling with have all fallen to their death Oh, oh, oh! Okay. She's got to navigate down the mountain and through a racist town in a four by four drive before the storm comes and kills him. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm working on those two. Okay, so she's at the top with the storm. Yeah, and she has to go through the town. She's got to get <laughs> off the storm. Off the, you know, it's off roading in a truck she doesn't know how to drive, and then at the bottom there's the racist town, which is the last. Wow. Yeah. So from storm to storm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. You guys have to keep me posted. But uh, we, 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 you guys definitely have to come back because I would love to uh, talk to yeah. you guys again when, when you get everything going. But there's a gentleman that I absolutely love. I don't know if you guys know him. His name is Hilliard Guest. And he has a podcast called The, um, the Screenwriter's Rant Room. And he is absolutely amazing. And I really think that he would be a phenomenal guest for you guys to talk to on your uh pitch podcast because he talks about the art of pitching extensively so i would be absolutely more than happy to um extend an um introduction with the two of you because as you guys are talking i just kept saying to myself they gotta meet hilliard they gotta meet hilliard so i i definitely would love to to introduce the two of you guys but Leah and Angel, this has been absolutely amazing. I thank you so much for for reaching out to me. Um, that that's that's just beautiful. And the fact that you reached out and you just you 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 asked something a lot of people just don't do. If you don't if you don't ask, you don't you don't get. You never know. The answer is already no. So go ahead and ask. It, 
100% guaranteed that it'll be a no if you never ask, yep. Yep. you know, but there's a 50, 50 chance that, you know, it will work out if you say, Hey, do you mind if I come on your podcast? Yeah. But I really enjoyed our conversation. I am so excited to see what the pitch will be doing in the future. And I'm just, I'm just looking forward to some phenomenal writers coming out of that camp because the two of you really are really on to something. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to see where it goes. So again, Thank you guys for coming on a uh, conversation with, and I'm your humble host, Floyd Marshall Jr. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends. Make sure that you, some um, what is that word I'm looking for? That you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and make sure that you go to the Pitch Podcast on Apple Podcasts and subscribe because if you're in this business, and here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, even if you're not a writer, you want to subscribe to the podcast because if you're a filmmaker, you want to know how writers think. So make sure you subscribe to the Pitch Podcast. And I will leave it as I always do. Love this like a hobby, but above all else, treat it like a business. Have a Amen. phenomenal night. Take care. Thank you. You're welcome.